0: Rippy Writes with Brian Scott Rippey. Transcripts can be obtained by drinking a fifth of bourbon, ramming your head through some drywall, and then writing down every thought you have.
1: What's up on a Saturday? I am Brian Scott Rippey. Thanks for tuning in to another edition of the Rippy Writes Podcast. Got a little bit of a random show for you. Chase Parham and I talked about the old Miss Quarterback battle for about half an hour before he had to run onto hand raise guys on Thursday. Uh, I wanted to have Chase on because he's actually been at practice and really the kind of the main thing that, you know, Weldon, Buchanan, me, whoever is missing is not actually seeing what's going on every day. So I kind of wanted to pick his brain on what he's actually seen at practice and if kind of the narratives and things that have come out of press conferences and stuff match up to with what he's seeing with his eyes. So anyway, uh, we chatted about that for about 30 minutes. And then on the back end, I've got a Nick Broker interview. I talked to him about I guess it was about a day or two before fall camp or preseason camp, probably more apt term started. And we put it out as a video thing as part of an NIL uh, agreement that he had, but I never used it in podcast form. I honestly just kind of lost track of it. and It never really fit in anything. So I think it's still irrelevant and an interesting conversation. And it might be uh, even more fast, even more interesting looking back at it, you know, two weeks into camp as they wrap up. So Anyway, kind of the pod was kind of in a weird spot this week as we remain on this irregular schedule. Probably got one more week of that before we get into our in-season mode and everything you know, falls into its normal place schedule-wise with Buchanan in the middle of the, middle of the week, uh, welding on Sundays, and probably like an opponent preview on Friday plus some questions or whatever. Anyway, none of that is relevant, but uh, a couple of random interviews to uh, get out there for you on the weekend. I think Buchanan and I are going to do one more preseason pod either Sunday or Monday. So be on the lookout for that, but we'll be back on a more normal schedule uh, that first week there leading into game week. So anyway, I uh, hope you'll enjoy the pod. Chase and I talk quarterbacks for about 30 minutes. Well, but before we get to that, I want to remind you, podcast is brought to you by Mims Insurance. Matt Mims is an independent insurance agent based in Oxford, He's going to help you find the best rate possible. Everything is expensive right now. Gas is expensive. Food's expensive. Everything. Inflation's at an all-time high. Not a political pod, just a fact of life. You don't need to settle and lose f- further money and leave money on the table when it comes to your insurance. Matt Mims is an independent insurance agent based in Oxford. His whole job is you call him. He shops your quote around whatever it is you need insured, house, car boat if it's a boat congrats on your boat that's pretty sick anything you need insured you tell him he shops around to 10 different agencies finds the best price finds the best fit for you and boom job's done takes the hassle out of insurance he's helped so many people across the state of Mississippi operations are booming he just got a little bit of help hired another agent over there in the uh, in Vicksburg things are exploding because people trust Matt Mims and you should too he's a good friend of mine I wouldn't send you to someone I don't trust, wouldn't do business with someone I don't trust. He's going to make getting things insured easy for you. All you have to do is call him at 601-218-7854. That's 601-218-7854. That's his cell phone number, answers all the time. That is not some, uh you know, automated line he's going to pick up and he's going to help you out. Tell him I sent you, he will get you hooked up. That is MIMS Insurance there in based in oxford but all across the state of mississippi his reach is from the coast all the way up into the memphis area he can help you out whatever you may need go check him out mems insurance there in oxford podcast is also brought to you by skybox sports picks who is skybox sports picks well glad you asked They're the world's best gambling handicapping website the inventors of the skybox matrix interval an advanced modeling mechanism that has helped propel skybox to the top of the sports handicapping industry. You need to check these guys out. They're the best in the business. Football season is right around the corner. Don't lose money this year. Go on right online right now. Buy the season pass for both the NFL and college football and profit with Skybox. Make this one an actual fun one. Get a little expendable income going over the next couple months because they're going to lead you to profit more consistently than yourself, your own brain, or anyone else in the industry. You will lose money in the long run unless you go with Skybox. It's pretty much... That's simple. They hit it 60% on the NFL last year. They're absolutely crushing it in NASCAR. They went plus 34.85 units in a weekend in NASCAR, including a plus 2,500 outright winner a couple weeks ago. Mark Harris and the guys at Skybox NASCAR are crushing it. And pretty soon for Skybox customers, NASCAR is about to come free, become free. Just a free part of you signing up. How about that? Free 34-unit weekends on deck for you in the future. They're the best in the business. You need to go to skyboxsportspicks.com. Check out the picks package. Find the best one that fits your price range. You can try it for a day, week, month, all sports, particular sport. I'd recommend just going with the year-long, all access pass. It's going to pay for itself and then some. And then boom, you're on the way to watching sports and profiting for a change and not having the bookie text you on Sunday night asking you to square up, adding to your Sunday scaries. You have a couple more days. So through August 17th, you can any if you buy a picks package on the site. If you buy the football package or the excuse me, if you buy the NASCAR package through August seventeenth, which it's about to be free, so only a couple days left on that one, you will be entered into a chance to win the NFL and NCAA four week package for free. So you're going to get a month of NCAA and NFL picks if you're selected in this drawing for free. So before SkyBox NASCAR becomes free to the people, you can buy a short four week pass. Probably get reimbursed on that and then entered into a drawing to win the NFL and NCAA football packages. Check them out. They're still running the code NATTY for 50% off and the Rippy code R-I-P-P-E-E gets you 20% off. Go check them out. If you have any questions, tolerate me. They're the best in the business. Skybox Sports Picks. All right. Here is Chase Parham on what he's seen at practice. All right. We now welcome on future author. I don't really have any other creative names at this point. Chase Parham. Uh, Is that public yet? You just kind of leaked it on the board without you. You didn't do a great job marketing the announcement. There needs to be a big reveal. I don't know if you need to hit a golf ball that has many books in it, like a gender reveal type deal, but uh, is that out and about, or did I spoil
0: a secret? Is that what I'm supposed to do? Like find the most tacky gender reveal of all time and copy that for, for this, That, that that's the move, right? You know, I, I'm told that I can't put anything on social media and I can't like, Basically, I need, like, the book cover and the ability to promote it visually before I, like, full blow go whatever. But, I mean, I te- I took a freaking month off. I mean, Neil's been a saint here. I mean, in July, I basically haven't done much at all for rebelgrove.com. Everybody knows, or not everybody, but for the most part, people know that I am working on a book. Um, so, yeah, I think it's it's definitely not a secret, but I am somewhat limited to the ways that I can say it or the places that But it it's we're, we're almost there we're getting close to my writing deadline and then uh that that puppy will be out during during football season so i'm i'm glad i did it i'm glad i covered the things that allowed these circumstances to do it but i will say this i i realized in the past that when i thought i was busy i wasn't actually busy this is busy this is when you're trying to somewhat do your job and wake up and change your schedule a little bit to to write to this level i'm not complaining i mean it's a great thing i'm blessed to be able to do it but it it does tell me that on the other times I wasted a lot of time during my day and I was not as, uh, not as occupied as I, as I thought, because I am, I'm trying to write every morning before my day actually starts. Okay. So yeah,
1: that's not that this is remotely the same thing, but when I got out of the media and started doing like, I got a marketing job and then I started doing this on the side and eventually started doing the rebel Grove thing. I kind of realized the same thing because like I would, you know, piddle around during lunch or not wake up early enough to do something. And all of a sudden I'm writing at 10 o'clock at night. And I'm like, well, I just don't have enough time in a day. It's like, actually you do. You just don't use it correctly. So like being efficient with time is a key when you're trying to juggle a lot. I'm fascinated when people, so I'm fascinated about reading about people writing books for the first time. Like, you know, I've written for a while, I guess before I die, it would be nice to put something in binded pages instead of just out there aimlessly on the internet. But I'm always fascinated to learn what, everyone feels like they always learn something either about themselves or about the process when they write a book. Have you had that moment yet? Has there been one thing that you've been like, wow, I did not know this.
0: That's a couple of things. I mean, if you, I mean, if you really are interested, we can do a podcast on it when I'm done and I can dive through a good bit of kind of how I went about it and what it looked I mean, like. And, I mean, and I'm definitely no expert, but I mean, I had to, I've had to come up with some symbols of a system and I'll tell you what it is. I mean, and I can give this away, like Don Kessinger is writing my forward and I was talking to him. I had lunch with him last week. And I said, you know, the biggest difference is it's almost kind of a responsibility because, look, I want everything to be factual. I want everything to be right. But when you're writing stories that, you know, are off the front page in a day, you're not as careful with your words. You know, in some ways it becomes machine gun journalism where you're just churning out stuff today and you're going to turn out more stuff tomorrow. and you know, I'm not I'm not one of these idealist guys that goes, "Oh, this book's going to live forever." But it is a a document that's a historical document of something in a way that you do need it to be more correct, more precise. You need it to say the things exactly how you want to say them with with, with this different level of audience and the different scrutiny that kind of comes with it. So I think that's the biggest thing is that. You know, in the past, when you find one person that says something, you go, hey, he said it. We're going to write it that way. It's off me. I mean, I'm using the word said it's the most powerful word in journalism because that that takes the onus off the writer. But on this, it's, hey, ask two or three more people. Make sure that's exactly the tone. Make sure that's exactly the the way that I want that to say. And I I, I can use an example. I mean, I'm not going to give too much away here because this actually isn't an excerpt that I'm sending out to people for review. But. Mike, during there was one portion of the season where he had a very clear meeting with his coaching staff about all the turmoil going on around the program, with it being, you know, the 7-14 and or whatever the record was at the time, potential job security issues, all those different things. There was one time where he really had the big, hey, look, guys, whatever. And, again, I won't give away what he said. But, you know, I wrote it a certain way, and I had Mike telling me what he said. I mean, it's going straight from the source. But then, you know, I talked to a couple more people and I sort of hashed it out and I realized that while the words were right, it wasn't the tone that he used the way I was writing it. That the way I had written it sounded one way and that wasn't necessarily the the environment he was trying to get across in the way that he said it. And I had to go back in and change some of those things. So I think that's the thing, too, is when you're writing a book and trying to that, that's that's nonfiction like this you're trying to get the words right and what actually happened, but you're really more trying to figure out what people were feeling or what the tone was or what the temperature was or the emotion was around everything. And I I think maybe, I hope it makes me a better writer in, in my day job when I'm done with it, because I have realized that just because something is said a certain way, it doesn't necessarily mean that's what the connotation that they had, the way you said it. Yeah, you're exactly right. And
1: that's fascinating. You bring that up because one like that's one of the things I enjoy about doing some of the longer form stuff is you have time, like it's not time sensitive. And one of the things that I've always like noticed is kind of the same thing is like when someone says something to someone, that's not always like how the receiver takes it, even though that's what the person that said it meant. And you know, 99% of the time, like you said, in the day job part of it, you don't have time to do that. Like, you know, Rich Rodriguez, you know, shits on Matt Corral. You don't have time to go <laughs> find Madden Beck. Is that how you took this? Like, that's just not how it works. But when you have like, like you mentioned, just kind of, it's like a responsibility, you're right, because you do have the time to do it and you want to get it all correct. It's fascinating how differently people interpret things, and it makes for
0: a better story with more color. We definitely need to do that book podcast. Um, yeah, uh, because I mean, well, also I can, at that point I can elaborate about the stories that are in it. I can get it more precise on what yeah. exactly I'm talking about. Because, no, look, it's everything. I mean, because, I mean, this is not a secret. This is going to be in the book. Today I wrote the chapter on Dylan DeLuca's game against Arkansas. In, in the College World Series. That's what I spent my day writing today. And when Mike has that mound visit in the seventh inning, well, I know what was said, but, you know, what he was trying to convey was not really what delucia took from it. I mean, right there in the moment, they're just kind of having a one-on-one conversation. And I mean, it was nothing bad. They both kind of got the point across. But when I talked to Dylan and then when I talked to Mike, they did not say the same thing happened. Even though they were the only two people standing there having the conversation, so it does it puts you in a little bit of a spot from a writer going, "Well, which one of you guys are correct here? What was the way that?" And you realize that's not the case. Mike went out there with something in his head. He said some words. Dylan's emotionally charged. He's all amped up. Basically, he just kind of is pulling a pomeranz and wants Mike to get off his mound and go back to the dugout right then. And because of that, he's he's listening and he's like, "Yeah, you know, thanks help. Thanks for calming me down. Now go away." And that's sort of the way that, that that he was taking it at that point. If nothing else, uh, you need to charge Mike full price for a book. I hope he doesn't
1: get a complimentary <laughs> copy. Just make him give you the eight fifty in cash. Uh, he, can <laughs> he can afford, afford it these days, nice I reads. hear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's uh, no no skid off his back. But I'm looking forward to reading it and uh, kind of seeing what the finished product looks like because I've heard a lot about it throughout these last couple of months. The reason I wanted to have you on today, aside from that, was you know I was talking to Weldon uh i guess earlier this week in buchanan last week and we start talking about this quarterback race thing and we're all going off of what you guys put on the board and your practice reports and the press conference and stuff the one thing not doing this full time anymore is you haven't been able to see it and like i didn't get to see a ton even when i did this because we didn't really work with anyone that did open practices i came on at the end of freeze he sure as hell was not doing that and luke kind of while he was I thought he was pretty lenient about a lot of stuff. It was your standard here: seven periods of watching them scr- stretch and maybe get a good scratch of their ass in and watch a guy take a kick. And then you're out of here. You guys have had a lot more access. You've gotten to go to the scrimmages. And so quarterback battles kind of what everyone's talking about from what you see with your eyes. We, I get the story like the general narrative of they're trying to bring the opposites out of each other. Right. It's, you know, they want, um, dart to rein it in a bit and not take as many risks and as many chances and not be as reckless at the football where they're trying to get Altmaier to take more chances and be more decisive from what you've seen with your own two eyeballs how much does that hold up to those two general principles of how this has gone
0: that is the general principle that you know look you can take there's a lot of practices where if you take one practice you go oh that's not what happened today this guy was great here or that whatever but the totality of it. And the truth is we got two really good weeks of open practices where we saw anything we wanted to see. We we saw a team for two weeks. Obviously the media and the fan base all saw the Saturday scrimmage last week. And I think that is a very accurate summation of what's happening overall. I think that Altmeyer has been more tentative. I think he's been careful to try not to turn the ball over. I think that it's one of those deals where he does need to push it downfield. He needs to have a little more confidence pushing it downfield because he does have the ability to do that. And then with Jackson Dart, it's, you know, he told Neil on media day that he would not be doing some of the things in games that he's doing in practice, that he is trying to fit balls into windows and and do some things that he does not feel like would actually be indicative of him. If he's the starter playing Alabama or Texas A&M or whomever when the season starts. But, you know, with Dart, you're seeing, you're seeing more big play potential. You're seeing him throw the ball down the field more, definitely more confident in doing so. If anything, it's overconfident at times if he's making too many mistakes. But then, you know, from a negative standpoint, he does. He lets the ball float. He lets the ball sail. I mean, I thought it was interesting that it appeared to be self-inflicted last week that if he overthrew a receiver, he got down and did sit-ups before they t- he took the next snap, snap. And, you know, look, is he need the 10 sit-ups? No, but I think it's just a mental reset of, hey, you're getting punished for doing that thing. Um, no, it has been, it's been that way. That is the situation that's played out over camp. But, you know, I don't want to make too much out of the scrimmage because it was one day, one practice, there's 15 of them or whatever this thing looks like 20 something before they play a game. Um, but I do feel like there is a demeanor change. And again, I, I don't know quarterback play. I don't know what I'm looking at. I'm not trying to be that person, but I do know body language. And I think that there's something about dark, the way he just sort of is upbeat and moving around the field and sort of the way he is, he's more outward with his encouragement. He more you know, celebratory. And I guess my point here is, I think that matters to an extent, but I also don't think people should get caught up in that as a trap going, Oh, well, he's the better leader because he does, he does that. That's not necessarily the case. I mean, you know, I mean, Eli Manning and, and, you know, Baker or Mayfield, and I get that's a huge you know difference on career, but you know what I mean? They they handle that kind of stuff differently on how they're going around the field and and whatnot. So I made a really bad comparison there where people are gonna ask I know me what for you that. mean but whatever though, you get my because, point. Cause uh, Altmaier's
1: cool as a cucumber. I talked to him for an hour for that NIL story and like I was almost impressed with how calm he was and that's kind of like I get what you mean. Like one, you kind of need to show it sometimes be a little more outward, but it's not that Altmaier's not doing it. He just doesn't get worked up by anything like to the point of, like, I wonder how like, – he probably loves the silent count because he doesn't have to raise his voice. Like, he is literally that – No, it, it can time be time a time.
0: great thing because you can get right. too amped up. You can go to whatever where you can't calm down. I mean, they're going to be in road environments where they need very much cool and, and, and settle from a demeanor standpoint. But I guess my point is – when you're watching like we watch, and if you don't really know the intricacies of what you're watching, because, I mean, I probably know more than maybe the literally average person, but I don't know a ton compared to what we're actually needing to decipher here, you get more caught up by the positives, and you get more caught up by the loud by, – by, by things that are positive superlatives, I guess is what I'm saying, versus, you know, the minutia of the negative. Because, you know, on Saturday, Dart held the ball too long at times. He took sacks. Altmaier had somewhat of the same tendency – You know, Michael Trigg is a great example of getting out of the quarterback position, but the same sort of principle. Most people watch Trigg and go, oh, my God, he's a physical specimen. He plays the position like a basketball player because he is one. He catches the ball. He can't be arm tackled. He's awesome. Look, he's about to wreck through the SEC. And you go, yeah, and Lane had to yell at him like three times for lining up incorrectly. And then, you know, early in camp, he – was not running first or second team for, you know, missing a meeting or whatever it was that happened to him. I don't know specifically. But, you know, we, we don't – we look for the upside versus realizing the entirety of the situation. And I feel like that's what's hitting the quarterbacks, the the competition a little bit here, because it is a deal where I think Dart flashes off the page more. And I think Altmaier, hey, look, he look, he does check down too much, in my opinion. I could be wrong, but that's kind of what I see is he – he has a tendency to not trust himself and not go down the field, but some of this is can he get that out of him? And then two is what kind of quarterback do you need? I mean, I think Lane is going to have some somewhat of a decision on. They really like their offensive line. They really like their running backs. They can be a bit of a ball control offense in some ways and win games, especially early. Because if Ole Miss has a pulse, they're going to be four and zero when they play Kentucky, and then five or six and o, you know five and one or six and zero when they when they get done with Vanderbilt. So, they have to, they have some time to figure out what identity they want. But if you trust them to do that and you think the defense is good, maybe not turning the ball over is very important. You know, there's been times where Matt Corral, hey, you can't just play game manager. He had to go win football games. And if you need that, maybe you need one kind of quarterback. But if it's a game where, hey, we just need to kind of bide our time here and score and be, you know, stay on schedule and be efficient, that's another kind of quarterback. So, in some ways, this is an identity crisis. I mean, I think that. Luke can become the other guy. I think Jackson can become the other guy as well. I think Jackson has shown a little more upside to this point, but I think in some ways it's Lane deciding what kind of offense he needs and what kind of offense he wants to be more than what either one of those two quarterbacks are doing. And then, you know, just to, to go here, everybody mentions Kincaid Dent. Um, He had a really good scrimmage on Saturday. Lane, Lane mentioned him as the MVP on Saturday and, it's not disregarding because of anything Kincaid has done. He's kept his eyes down the field really well. He has been incredibly steady in the in the reps that he's gotten. But from a coverage standpoint, when I'm figuring out who to talk about and what the competition looks like, in no point that I can remember, unless I'm forgetting something, have we seen Kincaid take a snap with the first team or the second team? And that so until Kincaid you're elevated to that way. point, well, yeah, because it's it's not even about performance it's not even well he was doing this with the third team or against the third team it's that literally if you're not getting the first and second team reps I don't know how to factor you into the competition and that goes for any position I mean I'm doing that with Larry Simmons as a wide receiver on the third team or 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 anyone else I just feel like until you're promoted to that too deep you really just aren't factored into how I how I analyze a certain scrimmage or a certain game and the reps are already
1: so limited. It's hard as hell to run a quarterback battle in fall camp with two guys, and three almost makes it impossible. I think you saw a little bit of that with LSU, where they had to kind of cut bait with Miles Brennan a bit, where it's like, hey, we can't keep trying to split this first and second team reps up three and four ways. This just doesn't make any sense. It's not possible. And so it's already limited. And one of the things – it was fascinating talking to Buchanan last week about like, what it's like going through a quarterback battle – because we started – and this really I feel like kind of became like a concrete narrative after this first scrimmage about Altmeyer being a little more hesitant and almost kind of playing to like not lose the job versus, as you mentioned, that was a nice anecdote there with uh, Dart telling – excuse me, Altmeyer not pushing down the field, Dart telling Neil, I'm doing stuff I wouldn't be doing in games. I asked Buchanan about that because he was kind of the same thing with Chad Kelly versus – you know, the famous Hugh Kellenberger column where it's like, give Ryan the keys to the Ferrari. He won't wreck it. I hope he has that above his uh, nightstand. Um, but I asked him which one lended it itself better in a quarterback competition. And he's like, you know, it's hard to say. And there's a lot more that goes into it. And he started going into just all the little stuff we don't think about during the quarterback battle during camp. Like it's, impo- it always lends itself toward the defense because they're jumping routes. They know the plays. They're doing things they wouldn't do during games. Like the smallest bad break or good break that doesn't get noticed really factors into stuff. And basically he had a piece in there where he was like, at the same time, there were days where Chad Kelly would make a ridiculous throw that I, as I think I'm a pretty talented guy, I just don't have that. And I I, I would just have to tip my cap and be like, wow, that was pretty awesome. Like, you know, and just keep it moving. That doesn't mean I'm going to lose the job because I don't have the ability to do that. But like, that's just something I don't have in the arsenal. Do you get the same feeling with Dart and Altmaier? Because I know there's been, it's a little well, – depends on where it came from. There's been a little bit of controversy about who actually – like is Dart's arm actually that much better? From what I've seen, I would say yes. Have you sensed that there is a talent level from an arm perspective that favors Dart even if it's slightly over Altmaier? Or is that overblown?
0: I think Dart – and I get they're the same age. My guess is he's a little more – and this is not Luke's fault. He, Dart appears to be a little more physically mature. From a ceiling standpoint, I mean, frankly, I still think Luke's got the space to put some more weight on and be and and just be better as a as a football player as time goes on. I don't notice some crazy arm, you know, strength difference that you're that we're talking about there. Because I mean, I, I see what you mean. I mean, you know, when you had an NFL level quarterback and a guy who's not, I mean, you know. Chad Kelly and Ryan or Devontae or, you know, Eli with his backup or something like that. That's a totally different strategy, I think, than what we're doing with here. I mean, we're because in some ways, it's, it's what's fascinating is Luke somehow becomes like this underdog story when he was a four-star yeah. quarterback out of high school who was committed to Florida State and flipped. I mean, it's, it, it's two blue-ship quarterbacks challenging for the competition. So I don't – I mean, I'm not, I'm not bristling or rooting for anybody, but I do kind of roll my eyes a little if the one guy's just trying to scrap it together and, and check down. I, I think that it's – because I don't know that it's confidence. I just do think that Luke, it has it very much in him, do not turn this football over. And when that is the case, you're not going to push it unless there's really big windows. And you've got to learn to trust yourself, you know, in those windows. I think in some ways that only takes reps and time, and you've got to force it. I mean, it's where I do – I do admire or agree with more than admire. admire's not the right word. I do agree with Jackson from the standpoint of, hey, you're in practice. If, it, if A.J. Finley picks it off, who gives a shit? I mean, just yeah. throw it there. See if you can do it because you start hitting two or three of them and suddenly you've got some confidence. You you, you realize that is a window I can throw it in. You know, I, I, I wish just watching it, I wish they would kind of do the same things from that regard to get a better look at it where Luke would sort of go, no, no, no. We're going to. We're going to test this because there are times when he has a really nice deep ball down the field. I mean, Luke is not void of arm talent to an extent that he can't win college football games. He just doesn't try the same windows in what we've seen as as Jackson Dart. I mean, to this point. Now, again, what does that mean? How much of that is psyche? I, I, I don't really know, you know, because I think they both bristled. I think Dart bristled a little bit on media day that, I'm this gunslinger who just throws it everywhere. And I think Altmeyer, Brussel, probably a little bit, hey, I'm a game manager who's just trying to throw the ball five yards down the field every time. Because, you know, Luke, I thought that in the Sugar Bowl, when I get it was a terrible situation for him to come into and try to win a football game, I thought he improvised pretty well. I thought he played his yeah. best football when he was able to get out of the pocket and use his feet a little bit and just sort of play backyard outside of the system. Now, he needs to stay inside the system, but the point being – I thought he did have some confidence in those improvisational moments during during the Sugar Bowl. And I think that's maybe where any disappointment toward him comes in from Saturday is I, I did not feel like, like, especially when he can't be tackled. I mean, he's wearing a white jersey. I didn't think he kept his eyes down the field very well. He, he extended plays to then, you know, really kind of make things happen at the second level at that point. I thought he and Dart were both a little more a little more hesitant there. And then also, if it was a live game, they both would have been sacked more than they were because they had a fairly lenient whistle on when to stop play when a defender got close to the quarterback. Well,
1: and that's the fascinating part of this is I was reading something Neil wrote from Saturday or may have been the week prior. I don't remember. He talking about where Dart looks comfortable in the pocket, but when it's, he's outside of the pocket and improvises when he looks less comfortable. I have no reason to believe that's not true. But what was surprising to me was talking to Dart's trainer and another guy at USC back in January. The thing we didn't see with Dart because he played on a, a hurt meniscus was apparently that's his thing, the outside, the structure, moving around and kind of making something happen, using his legs and also his arm talent to making something happen out of structure when the play breaks down. That's supposedly a strength, but it doesn't sound like we've seen that yet. And like I just wonder how that lends itself into actually deciding this thing and to kind of bring this conversation a little bit to a conclusion. As you were talking about the identity crisis piece of this, you're right. Like Ole Miss is going to have an identity. I think they'll be able to run the football really well. I mean, look, they have a better offensive line than they've had the first two years at Kiffin. You can make an argument that they have top to bottom a better running back room, and this is a team that led the SEC in yards per game on the ground each of the last two years. So they could really find an identity there, but – like If it's Altmaier and it's kind of the game manager-ish term where it's just not taking very many chances, if you have the complete inability to take chances, isn't that Nick Fitzgerald with State or Auburn with Bo Nix to where you become a lot easier to defend if there's no threat to kind of push the ball vertically down the field? Now, that doesn't mean Altmaier can't do it. Like you just mentioned, that's kind of the great debate here. But if like that is the case, wouldn't you kind of go with the guy with the more upside? Because you can be a grounded pound pounding all you want if you don't have any sort of threat to push the football down the field in this league, your running game can be good. You're still going to get stopped eventually because the talent on the other side against better teams is just too good in the league.
0: No, look, you've got to back the linebackers up. You, you, you've you got to make the secondary respect the, the pass game. I mean, no, you cannot – I mean, look, Georgia did some semblance of it last year, but they were the, you know, the Ravens that won the Super Bowl, where you just literally do not turn the football over, and defense is going to win you football games. And they you've have got to generate off the other side
1: every time out. Almost doesn't happen. Yeah,
0: that doesn't count. That's not the same thing. So, no, look, you, you've got to, You've got to pass the football. You've got to have a dynamic passing game that can at least get into the second level and the third level when necessary. You've got to be able to to make them respect those things. You can't let them keep looking inside because look, that's some of the problem in Mike Leach's offense when he runs into trouble is that even though they're using the pass game as a run game and if you know Malik Heath said it all the routes are five yards and closer well there's a lot of stuff the corner and the safety doesn't have to worry about if that's the case I mean that's that's completely different than what you would be hoping for of an offense and frankly Here's the thing. Lane Kiffin is going to want to throw the football down the field. Now, look, he's going to want to be balanced, and he's going to want to run it. And he is more run heavy than people give him credit for being because they see his flashy Twitter presence and social media presence as is what he is on a football field. And he has dynamic offenses, and he's, a, he's, a, he's an offensive savant. But he's going to want to throw. I, I think Lane, deep down, is going to want to test. He's going to want to have those things out of his quarterback – and you're going to need those to make the running back as good as you are. You're going to have to play action. You're going to have to do all those different things in different ways to, to be as successful as they can be and, and use that four-headed run, running back monster that they have right now on the field because, look, Lane's not going to do this, and I don't blame him because you definitely don't want to get people get hurt. But and maybe, look, there's four weeks. So maybe this is what those first four weeks are because, you know, I've talked to people who have talked to Summerall and Troy, and I, I don't think they're very good. There's a – deep, you know, there's the, the FCS team in Central Arkansas – you know, I don't think Tulsa's a world beater, even though I haven't looked into a Golden Hurricane yet. Um, point being, I guess they do have some scrimmages to sort of get this done that they're calling games. But I would have been tempted if I was Lane and I had a really tough early game to put the regular jerseys on these guys and let them get hit and see how they manage the pocket outside to actually look down and play. Because, I, you know, maybe he's done some of this. He's closed us off now. I, we're not seeing the same things. There's something that you can't simulate a game in any form of practice or a scrimmage or anything. It's just not the same. There's people when the lights come on that are completely different. But you also can't simulate perfectly for quarterbacks like these two who do like to use their feet and get outside the pocket and, and have some mobility when they're not worried about getting hit, when they know that that linebacker is going to pull up and just touch them and move on. And that's what I also find fascinating is that even when you make a decision You know, you've only got Altmaier with really one game of sample size, and he came in against Auburn, I guess who it was, um, during the regular season. You know, Dart played five games or whatever against us for for USC during the season. He lit up Washington State and was just kind of okay from there. Uh, Otherwise, there is a certain segment of their full potential or their full arsenal is not going to be known until the linebacker can actually hit them, and they have to make plays – moving their feet, keeping their eyes downfield, and then knowing they might have to take some shots or get pushed down when they're doing it. Well, that's what I was
1: going to ask to kind of wrap it up. Is like, what? when do you think a decision's made? Because, you know, I kind of went into it after spring. It was like, all right, this might go into the season. You've got time to do it. Uh, Weldon's been kind of anti that, and I guess has convinced me to that side. He thinks the coaching staff would pre- – well, obviously the coaching staff would prefer to someone grab this by the throat and they're the guy. But just there's so much new on this team – like don't you want to kind of have it down as like the most important position on the field and have some certainty there with so much uncertainty else elsewhere. It may go into the end of the season because nobody has done exactly what I just mentioned and kind of grabbed control of the thing. But when do you think a decision's made? Do you think this goes into the season?
0: No, I think he would like to have it made. And look, I think they're going to scrimmage again on Saturday. I, I, I don't think it's open to anybody all the way, but they're going to, they're going to at least do a lot of team. They're going to scrimmage on Saturday. I think he would like to make it sometime next week just personally. Now, will he do that? Will he be at that ability? I don't know. I can't answer that. But here's the reason. It's not – it's what you're saying, but it's also continuity. They've got some wide receivers that are all over the place. They need to actually input their starters. I mean, because, you know, neither one of these quarterbacks have have worked a ton with this wide receiver group. All the receivers are new in a lot of ways. There have been some injuries that have kept guys out. They need to find their, their rotation and play that with the starting quarterback. They need some time to do that. And then it's also a leadership thing. You've got two different styles of leadership. You've got a team who's looking to two different quarterbacks. They spent all summer, you know, this guy led 7-on-7 with these guys or on this day, and this guy was kind of the leader on 7-on-7 on this day or whatever. I mean, a football team, it doesn't always have to be the quarterback, but it usually needs to be the quarterback. A team needs to know who they're looking to in that situation. And I think that only having a starting quarterback named is the ability to do that. Now, is it going to derail the season if he just doesn't know? Because, I mean, he, he, he said in the past he doesn't want to make the wrong decision. He will wait if, it, if he thinks there's any chance he's making the wrong decision because, you know, it's harder to get off that guy and it gets the other guy down. It screws with people mentally. You, you wait as long as you have to wait. But then once you know, you've got to go. And it's for a lot of reasons that have more to do with continuity and reps and just getting comfortable and acclimated with the the players that you're planning on playing on offense and whatever that rotation looks like. Because he's going to play four, five, six receivers. He's going to play several running backs. You've got a lot of stuff to, to fine-tune as, as you go. And Ole Miss's early schedule certainly helps that. But, you know, look you still don't want to be taking that into games. And they have, a, they have a power five game on the road in week three. I get it's Georgia Tech. I get Ole Miss is going to win this football game. But it's not like there's three FCSs in a row. I mean, there, there is a legitimate opponent, at least on the other side in week three. Why haven't you asked about Juice Kiffin? I think I'm the only one that hasn't. Well, you know, I, I asked Keith about Juice. But I haven't asked Lane. I kind of went the other day. I, I went to Lane. Did you ask boss Keith to is talk he about Juice on your
1: carpet? What do you ask the athlete? Well, team? I
0: kind of did. I was like, "Hey, Juice is everywhere. Why is he not over here on your couch, you know, right now or whatever?" And got kind of those answers. I, I have. I'm a little surprised nobody's going out to Wild Rose and written the big long feature on how they train a dog and what Juice's lineage is at this point. Maybe that's. Maybe that's for December. Maybe that's a bowl week story. I don't know, but I, I do think we're getting plenty of uh, of Juice Kiffin coverage. I will say and I know you got to run, but I'm, I'm curious to get your
1: insight on this. Joke as we joke about the Juice Kiffin thing. Does Lane seem happier to you because he he gave a really, couple really interesting answers about that? Um, kind of that juice was you you used as the lead into that, and he was talking about like watching a movie with his daughter and her friends on the couch and like he actually smiled he gave a couple life lesson type answers now someone got in there and proud about why he posts motivational quotes at five o'clock in the morning I thought that was a little bit interesting but point being he's kind of opened up a little bit more he seems a little more content a little less bristly what why do you think that is do you just think that he's a like you know the guy's gone through a lot in his life do you think he's just finally like you know what this might not be the Oakland Raiders, this might not be whatever, you know, corner like a heaven-like college job I could have. But this is nice, and I'm content. I may have just answered my own question, but, like, what do you think it is?
0: Look, I, I don't know that you can parlay it into he's going to be at Ole Miss for 10 years. Yeah, I don't necessarily yeah, sure. think that, 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 that. That's a false equivalency. But, no, look, I don't think it's an automatic the grass is greener. I don't think he has the wanderlust that he had in the past. I think that he is. I think he's a, you know, he's a little older. He's fit. I think He is. You no, know, he, he, he is. The, look, Trey Wallace from OutKick did a big story on this. He was on our, he was on the Oxford Exxon podcast on Thursday morning. Lane lost a lot of weight. He got healthy. And when he was a little heavier, I think he was unhappy in a lot of ways. And I think that there is a, a certain semblance of he's fit again. He's pretty comfortable. He's got a football team or a football program that is his, He likes building. I think Florida Atlantic taught him that a little bit, that, hey, there is a joy in building and getting to that level and and, and winning football games. It's not just, you know, the Alabama where you win every week and you're trying to handle the stress of what that side looks like. He's got his daughter here for her senior year of high school. He's getting to do that. I mean, he's literally doing carpool on some days. I think he just likes being a dad. I think for so long he was a misunderstood character because somebody thought Lane was this cartoon character or this – you know, big personality. He's not. He's a thinker. He's an introvert. He doesn't handle big crowds well well, unless he has to for his job. He's a guy that does like to just sort of read and watch movies and play on his phone at home and go out to the pool. And I think he hangs out with his daughter and her friends. He's gotten a little more acclimated in the community in a way that he actually likes. It's not that he's being forced to do it. He he enjoys some friends and some people that he's around. I, I think he's just a member of society. I think he's a guy that has realized yeah no it doesn't suck to just calm down and and be in a place and enjoy my family and my daughter and my dog and 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 have a good time at a job that he likes going to every day and he makes a lot of money doing it and he's playing in the SEC and in that I mean it's all those different things I think I don't think it's one thing but I do think they're all tributaries to the main point that yeah Lane Kiffin is certainly a happier person now than he's probably been in a long time and I think he's settled and he sees the responsibility that comes with having his daughter in the house with him at a very critical time of her life, having a football team that he's over. I mean, it's it, its everything. I think, you know, in some ways, it wasn't that Lane wasn't grown up, but I think Lane has grown up in a way too. He is Chase Parham. Can't wait for
1: the book to come out. We'll see about a quarterback decision. I appreciate the time as always, and we'll, uh, we'll do this sometime soon. Sounds good, bud. And that was Chase Parham. Appreciate his time. He's got a bunch of stuff going on book-wise. Can't wait to read that. And uh, enjoyed chatting with him. All right, here is, uh, before we get to Nick Broker, though, podcast is also brought to you by LB's University Avenue there in Oxford. Go see Greg, absolutely the best place in Mississippi to get meat. If you're a Right subscriber, it's RippyRights.substack.com. You get a free newsletter from me three to five times a week that I just started back this week. How about that? Joe? check out the uh, latest issue. That's rippywrites.substack.com. A lot of football notes in there as well. Probably have another one out for the people tomorrow as we get that off and running. But anyway, if you're a subscriber you get a newsletter from me, plus discounted meats right now. And you get a free newsletter from me a couple of times a week, discounted and discounted meats. Right now, it's a 16-ounce prime strip for 20 bucks and a $5 pack of sausage. That's one hell of a way to kickstart your grilling weekend. Football season's around the corner. All kinds of great grilling opportunities. You need to go check them out. LB's is the best place in the Mississippi and the world, for that matter, to get meat. All kinds of delicious cuts, fresh seafood, sausages, Uh, I like the tri-tip filet burgers are always awesome. Spicy ribeye sausage is terrific. Go find your own favorites. It's a staple of the Oxford community. The best place in the world. Oxford is so lucky to have LB's. Check them out. LB's University Avenue there in Oxford. All right. Here is Nick Broker on the start of fall camp (laughs) two weeks later. All right. Welcome into another edition of the Nick Broker Show. This one sponsored by the Young Alumni Collective. Nick looking sharp here with the specs, although the people can't see it, but just giving everyone a visual. You are a couple days out from reporting to fall camp, your final go around, your last fall camp. How are you feeling?
2: Feel good. Body feels really good. Um, So I'm really excited about how I feel physically and more importantly, mentally heading into camp. You know, Uh, just feel real relaxed, real calm, but, you know, still really excited at the same time.
1: For sure. What are these last couple of days like? What's the lead up to camp like? I know we talked about it a little bit last time. You guys are in town doing summer workouts for most of the summer, but like, what's the build up to getting ready for camp? What does that look like?
2: So, normally there's a few days off, and everybody's kind of different. Like, uh, some guys go home. Me personally, I'm moving into a new apartment. So, that's been kind of taking up my time is kind of, you know, moving all my stuff out. And then I'll move it in a little bit. So, that's been kind of like my my little focus over this little break. And still staying in shape, like still working out and trying to enjoy the last couple of days of break as well. Like I'll play some golf, just kind of hang out, kind of sleep in while I can, things like that.
1: It's uh, – how is the golf game? It's got to be probably – for me, I know whenever like, I have like a slow season, I get into like peak shape playing golf, like peak form, and then it just goes away and goes to shit when I try to come back. Is this like – are you peaking handicap-wise? And then you get in the season and it kind of – kind of get
2: rusty after that yeah a little bit like r- right now obviously i've been able to play I, I, once once like spring starts i mean granted oxford's pretty warm so we can almost play around but obviously during football season i'll never play like while we're you know in the fall and everything um, try to play a little bit like during spring ball i might you know play on a sunday or a wednesday or whatever but uh yeah summer's definitely kind of like the prime golf time so i'd like to say i'm in peak golf mode right now but Like you said, a fall camp will be here, and I won't play again until next summer (laughs) or whatever.
1: Yeah, I guess it's like we talked about the hooping last time. I got a couple of text messages about asking you about dunking and possibly possibly tweaking your ankle because you're dunking (laughs) in season. Golf's a little less dangerous, but, hey, I guess you could pull a shoulder or something. Um, I guess if you play with someone really bad, you could get hit with a ball. I've had that happen before. Oh, yeah. uh, mostly just I imagine it's a, a time consumption thing because you guys are pretty busy for camp what is uh what's a Kiffin camp like versus like a Matt Luke like or anyone you've like played for like how do how does it differ from coach to coach if that makes sense
2: uh so, so some of like the timings are a little different like I know when coach Luke was here we'd practice a little later in the day than when coach Kiffin's here but as far as like the schedule goes I feel like just in general, like it's just like a universal schedule. Of, you know, you have meet, your meeting times, your, your practice block times, and you always come back and meet later, and there's always a walkthrough to end the day. And then obviously there's lists and more meetings throughout the day. So some of the schedule things are pretty similar. The practice, you know, is a little bit different as far as how we practice and all that, but um, I, th- I think that's just kind of the main differences between the two.
1: Is there stuff you know this go around, like whether you were last year as a junior or as a senior, that like you're kind of better prepared than, like, say your first fall camp? Or is it pretty straightforward? Like, did you pick anything up about how to get through it or be better prepared, uh, kind of the first and second time you did it?
2: Oh yeah, no, it's definitely a lot better with coming with age. I feel like, I mean, those first like couple of days when you're a freshman going through camp is kind of uh, it's like a shock. I mean, that's kind of like the best way to put it. You don't really understand like how to, you know practice as a college player and how high tempo it is and how everything you know you got to run from drill to drill and those first like two days of camp when you're like brand new or kind of a whirlwind experience
1: what are you kind of most excited for this year you know I was starting to do a little bit of prep as you guys get into camp we're starting like our regular kind of football centric podcast as you guys get rolling and we have like press conferences and content and stuff and I was looking on the offensive line you know on paper and I get like you got to kind of earn it every day I get all of that but on paper, this should be one of the best offensive lines Ole Miss has had in a really long time. Um, you know, you guys have depth. You have experience. You know, that starts with you as well. Veteran leadership on there as well. Do you guys feel that? Like, do you feel – I know you are pretty good last year, but can you kind of sense that you guys – you could be a strength of this football team?
2: Oh, yeah, definitely. I think that's kind of one, one thing we always preach and one thing we harp on in the room is that, uh, you know, are kind of the leaders as a team, especially as a group and as a unit, you know with all the uh, experience we have and veteran leadership we have. So that's something we've definitely really, uh, kind of taken control over.
1: You've been on a, a lot of different lines. I mean, we went over it last time. You were, it's still kind of wild to me that you had just started a, a tackle as a true freshman in the Southeastern conference, but you've kind of seen both sides of it. Is it, it's a weird weird way to ask it, but, like, can you tell when you're in game, like, when the line as a unit is struggling versus, like, having a good veteran line like you guys have had the last couple of years? Like, can you sense that play-to-play play in a game?
2: Yeah, definitely. I mean, you can kind of tell because not so much of it's physical with that. It's kind of like a mental thing. Like, there might be some mental slip-ups where guys can let some things, you know, from a previous play take over. So, I feel like those are kind of the biggest differences between, like, an O-line that's, you know, younger or older.
1: The way this team is constructed this year, y'all got kind of trying to figure out the quarterback situation. You got some new pieces at receiver, and you really reloaded at running back. You know, I imagine there's a chance that this team's identity by the end of the year, you know, a lot of stuff has to play out. Y'all could be pretty run heavy. Um, And, and, did, and y'all ran it really well last year. I think you were second or third in the SEC in rushing, led the SEC in rushing in Kiffin's first year. Is that something a line like, prides itself on? Like, do you enjoy run blocking more than pass blocking? Like, is it a point of pride when you're kind of up towards the top of the conference when it comes to rush yards and yards per carry?
2: Yeah, definitely. At least for us it is. And I, I feel like that's kind of a thing for everybody. You know, that's definitely one of our main goals is to lead the league in rushing and kind of have that, you know, uh, mark, um, so to speak. It, it it just kind of means a lot to everybody because, you know, running is a big attitude thing. And, you know, with our running backs and how good they are, if we can open up some holes, I mean, they could take it to the distance anytime they touch the ball. So.
1: Do you like run blocking more? Like, I, think, I feel like I've talked to a lot of them before, cause you're actually getting to go forward on that. Where like pass blocking. It's almost unfair in some ways. Cause you got to have a, you know, you have a 270 pound freak defensive end coming at you while you're having to backtrack is pass blocking harder.
2: Yeah. I feel like for most people that would say that. Yeah, definitely. It's more of a, you know, I think, you know, you both are, are pretty fun. Honestly. I mean, you can, really get physical with both, but I feel like, you know, run blocking, you know, stereotypically is definitely like the more fun thing for any offensive lineman.
1: You guys get Bennett and Evans coming in and this is a uh, kind of a weird anecdote. I was actually at a NASCAR race um, Mm -hmm. earlier this summer. I copped some free pit passes. Uh, I don't really still don't know how I fully stumbled into that, but long story short, we're following this guy around all day like the 27 car in the Sprint Cup Series, but a couple of TCU offensive linemen were there. And I was just making small talk, trying to figure out how I ended up on this NASCAR bus drinking a Bush Light at 11 in the morning. But, like, I was like, oh, what's up? You played for TCU? And, like, I kind of started mentioning the Zach Evans thing. And, like, both of them, like, lit up. And they're like, dude, that's the best running back we've ever seen. I know you've only had a small time to kind of prepare with him and practice with him, but can you sense that already? What's kind of your early impressions of Zach Evans?
2: Yeah, he's – unbelievably talented you know he can to me he's kind of like you know a total package i mean he's big he's physical he can do those things but he's also you know got good vision he's elusive and he's fast you know he's got that second gear so you know, he can really do it all with the ball in his hands he can go out and catch passes you know he can, he's pretty pretty balanced in what you can really do anything
1: and whether it's the two of them or even you got a guy like Charles bullock last year who got some who got some run as a freshman a little bit less last year it's back-to-back years where you guys have had pretty versatile backs with pretty different skill sets. What's it like for you in a game when, like, one is in for the other? Like, like Snoop was very different than Ely, and mm-hmm. um, Henry Parrish was very different from those two as well. Like, do you all notice that at all in a game, like, who's in and how they run? Like, what is it kind of like blocking for guys with different skill sets?
2: I mean, we block the same way no matter what. I'm only just, you know – I think, you know, we can tell sometimes. Sometimes it is kind of hard to tell with how fast-paced we go. It's kind of hard to, like, tell because we don't really look back and see who's in the backfield. But I definitely think, you know, in certain situations, sometimes we can tell who's in or we just kind of assume as well or we have time to look back and, you know, check.
1: You mentioned the fast pace of it. Last year there were a couple of times where, like, a different running back was in by the goal line. Like, fans would, like, clamor for – you know, snoop to be down there. But the real reason they were doing it is because you guys didn't want to sub. you didn't want to give the defensive side the opportunity to get it on off the field. And that you brought up the pace pace aspect of it. I always laugh at the fact where people is like, you go up tempo, right, to wear the defense down. Well you guys have to be in pretty damn good shape too, right? Going fast for an offense is hard as hell too, is it not? And I feel like that doesn't get talked about as much.
2: Yeah, it definitely is. I mean, like you said, there's a huge conditioning aspect. And there's kind of the aspect of it too, if the if the defense isn't, you know set or ready we kind of just if we're snapping the ball it kind of can throw things off or um even sometimes we just we try to go so fast that we forget to like that we kind of have to communicate all of our stuff so those are kind of the toughest parts with tempo
1: is there a different level of shape you have to be in to do the tempo stuff that that kiffin does like rich Rod, i know did a little bit of it Um, But it wasn't quite the same. Like, did you have to get in, like, a different type of shape to be able to do that tempo stuff that Kiffin does and, you know, Weiss or whoever's running the offense does?
2: Oh, yeah, definitely. We definitely have to do a lot more cardio and a lot more conditioning and kind of monitor our weights a little bit.
1: Speaking of that, I always – when I was walk out to practice in fall camp in August, I would, one, feel bad for you guys because I'm just sweating nuts and I don't have, you know, 10 pounds worth of pads on. What's the inside-outside balance? Y'all got that very nice indoor practice facility. You can go inside when you want to. How does that kind of work with the staff, like, when deciding to go inside versus outside? Obviously, you need the heat and the conditioning a little bit, but I imagine it's a balance. How does that, how does that work? How do they handle that?
2: Yeah, so like you said, I mean, we kind of have to acclimate to the heat anyways, especially here. I mean, we, in this league, I mean, everybody's got a stadium that's, you know, feels like it's 90 degrees when it's game time. But, uh, you know, definitely if there's like a weather, their issue, like rain or anything like that. I mean, it's pretty much a no-brainer that you should go and say it. I mean, that's kind of what – to me, that's like what the whole point of having the indoor is. is like it's something we should utilize and not just, you know, have to stay there. But um, we try to practice outside as much as we can just to kind of get ready for the season.
1: What's uh, – when you go through camp, the old cliche, I remember, like in NFL training camps in particular, it's like they're tired of hitting each other. They want to hit someone else. What point do you actually hit that in camp? Like what point does the excitement of like the season tier – to kind of getting to the dog days of camp, we'll call it. Like, do you ever hit that point and kind of when is that?
2: Yeah, you can definitely tell when that there's kind of like a breaking point with every because it's kind of like a thing with the whole team. And it's normally a good bit into camp, but, you know, it normally takes a little while, a few weeks to, or so, to kind of get into that mode of like, all right, we're tired of going against each other. We, like, want to play somebody else.
1: And so, you, you know, when you get to this time of year and camp starting, like, is this – obviously it's like the start of football season but like do you kind of start getting excited like okay it's real now like this is about to come cuz like the summer i know fans feel the same way like the summer's really long and then you guys start camp and we have a month to talk about camp before there's actually a game but do like is that when it kind of gets real for you to where, like all right the season's here like this is happening again
2: oh yeah once camp starts it's like it's football season that's at least how i feel
1: how much uh Contact y'all do in camp. I know, like the whole thing is to get through it, not get anybody hurt. But you kind of do need to get acclimated, and just with the new like safety stuff in football in general. I know, like hitting and tackling, it's become a lot more challenging for coaches to try to work that into a practice because they don't want to get anyone hurt. Um, and you know, two, it can kind of be grinding. I mean, they. I had uh, Travis Johnson on the podcast a while back. He played a long time ago when o- Ogeron first got here, and you heard like these infamous stories of like o- Ogeron literally had like a caravan of cars going back and forth to the hospital because he was just run this dude's ragged. Obviously you can't do that, but what is kind of the balance of contact like in camp?
2: Yeah. I mean, like you said, there has to be like a smart balance. I think that's part of just knowing how to practice is knowing how to, you know, still practice and get physical and get good work in it, but not necessarily hurt each other. So I think that's kind of like one thing that we have a team we've done really good job with is, you know, you know, when the whistle blows the whistle blows and, you know, if we're, Gonna go at it. We're gonna go at it, but we're not gonna do anything that put anybody in a bad situation or hurt anybody. You know, even like if there's somebody behind you and you can see it, just it's practice, man. Like there's no sense in diving at ankles to make a play or anything like that.
1: What uh, I I imagine you guys don't have as much of this, but actually, right before we started recording, I saw like a Bills training camp video, and some dude accidentally hit Josh Allen after the play, and it was on. Like the offensive lineman, I thought was gonna kill the guy. Do you have like a prepared move? Are you packing, like, knives in the socks? What happens when someone touches the quarterback after the play?
2: Yeah, I mean, that's, that's a universal thing. If somebody touches a quarterback, it's kind of, like, a guaranteed, like, something's going to happen. <laughs> um, for us, at least, when Matt was there, Matt uh, never got touched ever. Um, that's good. Which I, I feel like Josh Allen should have that same treatment. <laughs>
1: uh, yeah, the 250 <laughs> – I heard someone in the video yell, don't touch the $250 million quarterback. That seems like yeah. a natural rule.
2: Yeah. Um we've been are you pretty like fun.
1: ready to spring into action? Like are you like watching for it? Like has it ever happened in your career where you're like, it's on man.
2: Yeah. Uh, to me I feel like there's like the boundaries on that is like if I'm not in the play, like if I'm on the sideline and the other groups in, I I don't that's like you have to handle that on like you shouldn't run off the field ever. Um and do something. But while I've been on the field, I can't think of like a single one that's happened.
1: That's good. Yeah, I imagine that would be a tough, like, position to be in because, like, it is your teammate on the other side. But you, you got to let him know, like, that that that's not going to fly. Right, yeah, definitely. Um, you know, as it's, it's you guys kind of inch closer to the season, you guys have had years where you were, like, at Memphis, right? It's 100 degrees outside. It's a big game. Memphis had mm-hmm. a really good team. Whereas you guys kind of get to ease into it a little bit this year. I think I almost forgot what the first opponent is, like Central Arkansas or something. Boy. Do you guys – do you have a preference either way now that you've done both? Like, do you kind of prefer to have a huge opponent, whether it's like a Louisville last year or – oh, it's Troy, I guess, and then Central Arkansas. Or do you kind of prefer to have like a tune-up? What is that like for you guys?
2: I'll do whatever. Personally, I think everybody's different where sometimes it is kind of nicer to play like some of those big games that kind of get some excitement in early, like last year. And we were supposed to play Baylor in 2020 before COVID hit, and that would have been a really cool one. I mean, I think the thing about it is the way if you look at our schedule, there's no really easy games, anyways. But um, I think everybody's kind of different how they feel about it. I think, you know, to me, we, I I haven't opened up at home ever, so that'll be pretty cool to have the season opener be at home.
1: Um. Oh yeah, I didn't even really think about it like that. You guys had that weird like COVID year, but that clearly was like not in a normal season opener. So the way like you've gone through the years, you really haven't opened at home, right? It was Memphis. Mm-hmm. And then the Atlanta deal last year, so this will be a first home ever. That's pretty cool. That's kind of weird that you made it almost four years that ever actually getting a uh, home opener. That will be cool. The way the schedule sets up is interesting. You guys get the four non-conference games, you get Vanderbilt and Kentucky, and then it's the West to finish. It's really a unique setup. I can't remember in a time that I've kept up with Ole Miss football that it's kind of stacked up that way. They had a weird year when I was a freshman in college where they played six consecutive home games with the bye week mixed in. But, like, outside of that, they've never had it stack up like that. I know you guys are in, like, a week-to-week, and you can't really look ahead. But when you see the schedule come out, like, do you think about it at all, where it's like, all right, we've got these six games, and then, like, it kind of goes through a gauntlet, the back six? How do you guys kind of look at, like, when you see the schedule for the next year, do you all think about it much at all? What is that like?
2: Yeah, I think like you—you you kind of harped on. I mean, definitely for me, at least, it's <clears throat> just about week to week. You know, it's just one and oh every week. We'll we'll focus on each opponent the same way. We'll do the same preparation every week, and yeah. You know, but like you said, there's like there's a few weeks stretch at the end of the season that's kind of like the grind. I think it, I can't remember exactly what is off the top of my head, but it's like at A and M, at LSU, that's like Bama at home, and maybe at Arkansas somewhere in there. I can't remember the exact schedule, like in what order. But I know like all those games are kind of you know jumbled up together so but that's kind of why you play and that's why you play at Ole Miss and kind of come to a conference like this so you can have things like that
1: yeah I, I saw Kiffin at media day and he got asked a question of, he had asked a really dumb question about Alabama and he was like honest to god no disrespect to Alabama I don't even know exactly when we played them I know it's later in the year and like I had to look up who y'all's first opponent was it's funny like you think you know the schedule but like that's not made up right like you guys do kind of lose track of like Kind of the order of the schedule. Obviously, on a week to week basis, you know who you're playing. But like as the schedule shakes out, like you guys are kind of so focused and in the moment. Do you really actually kind of lose track of like who come, like which opponent comes when?
2: Yeah, like there. I I I know we play Central i think we go Troy, Central Arkansas, Georgia Tech, and then after that, it's kind of like all a blur to me. I think we. I think it's Kentucky or Tulsa after that, and then it's. But after that, it's kind of like a whirlwind to me. Yeah, you had it. Uh, you had it pretty close. It was uh Georgia Tech, Tulsa,
1: then you get Kentucky and Vanderbilt, mm-hmm. and then Kentucky that straight. Uh, yeah, that the, uh, yeah, the West starts. Do you have a favorite place to play or a least favorite place to play? Um, I know I was talking to someone for one of those NIL interviews a while back, and they mentioned like Auburn being like super low key loud. He's like, I no one warned me about this. There's a hundred thousand people. It's <laughs> super loud. So, you kind of look forward to playing or dread playing, whichever way you prefer to look at it.
2: I've always liked playing at Auburn. Uh, been really cool to me because it's loud but it's also like just the way their stadium set up the way their crowd can kind of get involved to me it was always like really cool like that was like to me how college football should be and that like kind of epitomizes some of the college football things so that was really cool and tennessee was fun um tennessee was like probably definitely the loudest stadium i feel like i'd ever been in um I'm excited to go to LSU and AM this year. We didn't go to and AM in 2020 at all because of COVID. And then LSU was a um it was COVID year. So like half the will, best. Yeah. So those two will be really cool to play in as well. You mentioned the noise. I talked to Luke Altmaier about
1: this for one of those Grove Collective interviews, and he was like, I don't think people like fully understand. Like we can't communicate with each other. Like we're on silent count the entire game. It's hard to get the play in. Like, kind of, just paint a picture when there's a hundred thousand people yelling while you guys are on offense. How hard that actually is to communicate?
2: Yeah, no, it makes things a lot trickier on us. All you can really hear is the clap from the quarterback. I mean, it's hard to, you know, communicate with the left guard. You know, about the Thomas Wayne tackle, the left guard that's right next to me some sometimes. So that's why it's so important to kind of have an older group. So you can, you don't really need to communicate as well, or you can kind of have like your own language language so to speak where you don't really need to just start yelling things at each other like you can just kind of use hand movements or things like that and things will just be work itself out is there a come down after an environment like that like do you is there a moment whether it's
1: like when you're you know getting you know dressed and getting on the bus to leave like is there a I imagine – like, I don't know, you're just so charged up for three hours. That environment – I mean, that Tennessee environment, I watched it on TV and you could kind of tell it was rare. Like, nothing like I'd seen Ole Miss play in in quite a while. They've had some through the years. Is there, like, a come-down period after a game like that?
2: Yeah, definitely. By the time you're, like, on the bus, on the plane or whatever, it's kind of like, okay, things are kind of getting more normal. But it definitely takes a little while to sink in.
1: I imagine leaving a place like that with a win has got to be one of the top feelings you could have as like a college football player to where like you walk out of there, not only in one piece, but uh, you know, you walk out victorious. That has to be pretty sweet.
2: Yeah, definitely. That's like a big cherry on top is whenever you can, you know, winning away games is like the best uh, in my opinion. So, you know, it's very hard to do, but it's very rewarding.
1: Here's a great question. How often is Kiffin going to overuse the uh, mustard bottle, um, golf ball thing he threw out the uh, the golf ball for the tennessee sweep and does he bring that up at all he brought it up again i think in sec media day i just wonder how much that joke is going to get cracked this year
2: i'm sure it will eventually you never know though
1: <laughs> that dude like it's interesting that like you go from like a, a matt luke who like wasn't like huge on social media to having almost one of the most unique situations of all time do y'all ever bust his balls about his twitter because he's brilliant at it but like he's it's not awesome something
2: yeah, I've never brought up a Twitter to him but I think his Twitter's awesome.
1: How's Juice? How, what's he what's it like having a dog room around the place?
2: Juice is actually a really good boy. So it's, it's there's really, which is pretty cool. Um, Juice is awesome. Juice is a man. Did
1: uh, like did he just show up with the dog one day because like with, like from my perspective I just saw like someone text me was like what's up with this dog Twitter account? And I was like I didn't know Kiffin had a dog. Did he just pop up with it one day? I was like what's up? This is my guy Juice.
2: I guess I really don't know the full story on how we got juice to be completely honest with you um I'm still kind of trying to figure that out
1: <laughs> it's a cool name too I uh, I like the name I too. so you mentioned last time you really like to cook mm-hmm. and I was thinking about it like afterward I, I didn't ask I don't know what you're majoring in but do you see that something is down the road that you'd like to do like I know you like to cook as like a hobby would you ever do it I don't even know what like professionally would look like, but like, do you ever see like growing that hobby like beyond just kind of cooking?
2: No, I don't think I don't think I do anything more than just like cook at home for like me, my family, my friends kind of thing. I don't think I could. I don't think I could do all that. <laughs> no Top Chef for Mister Broker. I think you could do it. What's the show where they do like the random ingredients
1: and it's like here make this like pasta? Out of oh, I don't know. Game. I
2: know what you're talking about. I can't think of the name. So
1: you don't? Chopped. You don't think you could handle chopped? I don't know. I feel, have a little more faith in yourself. I feel like you could do it. Maybe. <laughs> the uh, could, would you ever cook for the offensive line I imagine you would need a bunch of material a lot of ingredients for that like cooking for an offensive yeah. line is that like cooking for 10 people when it's really only 5 or however many you guys got up there like I feel like that would take a lot
2: it would take a lot but the good news is you could make that pretty simple like you could just fire up the grill put some chicken breast some burgers and some hot dogs on there and everybody would come out very satisfied <laughs>
1: simple man the uh On a a more serious note, what is it like kind of building camaraderie with an offensive line? Because, like, the cohesion aspect, as you mentioned when we were talking about, like, snap counts and silent counts and all that, like when you have an older line and you played a lot of football together, it's a huge advantage. How do you kind of build that, right? Because, like, you bring in, like, a Mason Brooks this year, and most of the line runs intact, but it is a new guy, and it's a different group every year. What do you guys kind of do to build that cohesion beyond just practice together?
2: Yeah, I mean, like you said, I mean, the – O-lines, like since I've been here that have been close with each other off the field, we've been better on the field. So we try to do like as much things as we can, like we'll just hang out together. I mean, we'll go eat together, um, go bowling, um, try, try to do things like that. A lot of things off the field that just kind of bring everybody together. Who's the
1: wildest personality? Is it Mason Brooks? Because he was an incredible interview, and he was, like, showing me his, everything from his Lego set to, like, I think y'all just hit up LBs. Who's the, uh, who would you say has got the uh, wildest personality of the offensive line?
2: Wildest personality probably would be Mason, honestly. Do, y'all chirp, do you
1: chirp during games? Like, do you have guys on the line that are trash talkers? I talked to a guy named Reed Neely one time who played at Ole Miss a while back when they had Glenn Dorsey at LSU. And he wasn't a talker, but their center at the time was. And he pissed off Glenn Dorsey on, like, the second play, which was bad for our guy Neely at left tackle because then he had to deal with the brunt of it despite not being the one who chirps. Like, is there – what is, like, the trash talk like? And do you have guys that chirp or is it it that kind of overplayed?
2: Yeah, I mean, definitely. Uh, I feel like everybody does. And I feel like at a certain point you kind of have to. Yeah. Uh, In my mind, that's kind of how I look at it. Like, I'll chirp, but I never really – go out of my way to really start anything. But the second somebody says one thing, that's kind of when I like really start to get going. And I feel like that's kind of like how a lot of people are with it. Dudes push the limit, whether it's offensive or
1: defensive on kind of like the uh, play to the whistle and a half where dudes kind of push the limit on that. Do y'all know going into a given week, like, like whether it's watching film or scouting report, guys, like if there's an instigator per se, I can't think of a good example in college right now, but I'm sure I could think of one later. Like, do y'all know going into a week, like, this guy's going to try to start stuff? This guy's going to be an issue?
2: Yeah. I mean, you can kind of tell on film. And on the same hand, like, you know, there's certain guys you don't want to start it with either, if that (laughs) makes sense. Like, when I was a true freshman playing against Derrick Brown, like, the last, like, I I was always one of those guys I always like to try to play to the whistle and a half, like you said. And, you know, like, when I felt like when I played Derrick Brown, I was like, we kind of have to keep things a little. Like, we got to be physical with them, but we, we can't poke the Tigers too much. Like, we don't want to do anything. I was, like, 18 years old. I was like, I don't want to do anything that will really make him, you know, want to try to rip my throat out.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I can imagine that.
2: Derek Brown's a great example. I wouldn't,
1: I wouldn't want to poke the bear on that one either. And the, who, what was the kid they had playing next to him, too? That was a hell of a dude. It was, like, Marlon, Marlon Davidson. Da-
2: Marlon Davidson was really good. Nick Coe was really good. I had a really good D-line.
1: Yeah, I imagine not wanting to start stuff with those guys. That made me think of something. Now that you're kind of on the interior, and I know you have to deal with ends and defensive tackles, you know, kind of no no matter where you play, just because guys go through different gaps and whatnot. Is it different blocking a tackle than an end? Like, have you had to deal with more of that at guard than at tackle, or has it been pretty similar?
2: That's – so <coughs> – some of it's similar, some of it's different, like you said. I mean, you're kind of different, dealing with two different body types and diff, two different types of athlete. So that, from that perspective, it's a little different. But some of the te- technique stuff is still pretty similar. And obviously there is minor tweaks. But, I mean, it has some similarities and differences.
1: As we kind of wrap up here, the last couple of things, the NIL part, coaches get asked about it all the time. Players don't really get asked about it a ton. And so, and it was well overdue. Like, I think it's awesome that you guys are, it never really made any sense that you guys couldn't use your own name and image. You're on TV in front of millions of people every week to make money for yourself. That just never made sense. But then it kind of happened. And like, they did the NIL, like they announced the legislation to passed, And then literally at midnight, I saw like Bo Nix had a sweet tea deal. And it's like, all right, we're off to the races from like a player's perspective. Has that changed college football for you at all? Um, Even just beyond, like, the money aspect of it, just having that extra element to kind of manage and deal with, what has NIL been like for players, or, you know, I guess from your vantage point?
2: Uh, To me, I feel like, like you said, NIL is something that should be a part of college football, definitely. I mean, there's guys who make plays, and, you know, they, they like, want to come and watch certain players play, and, you know, they want to wear those jerseys and, you know, all those things. So I definitely feel like it's a, a thing that we as athletes deserve to have.
1: And the few like detractors for NIL, like I, like the classic like radio take was like, well, it's gonna cause division in the locker room. And it was always funny like hearing that and then watching you guys play last year because you know for better or for worse, whatever you can say about the 2020 2021 Ole Miss Rebels, you guys look, really genuinely seem to like each other and spending time with each other. Kiffin even he's not the biggest kind of to harp on stuff like that, but he even mentioned at the end of the year. The way you guys played football, it was super evident that y'all really enjoyed being around each other. And so that was always hilarious to me to like, hear that take. Like, how overblown is that? You, y'all don't even really talk about NIL stuff, I imagine, in a locker room, do you? Like, yeah, how no. overblown is it that it's going to cause division in a locker
2: room? Yeah, I mean, that's like, for me, at least, I've never spoken about anything in NIL with anybody on the team. It's like, it is what it is. You know what I mean? It's just yeah. not a part of your conversations with anybody. It's all kind of private information anyways. You know, I don't really... And, like, some people like for me, you know, it doesn't really matter to me what anybody else is making either. Like, it's kind of their personal, private thing.
1: Yeah. I, I imagine would be like asking your coworker how much is in their bank account. Like, it's just, a yeah, weird, exactly. You would know, never like bring that up in in passing. Is it like, how wild is it though for you to like see someone, like, the ones that make headlines are like, so and so got, you know, Jalen Rashad or whatever, got, x money to go to x school like is it wild to see some of the figures or do y'all not put much thought into it? what's that kind of like
2: yeah to me it is kind of crazy seeing how how much money you can make with it um like it's just kind of mind-blowing that like that's even out there but I think you know for some guys it's very deserved and you know credit to them for being able to get it
1: for sure has that changed the way you've approached like social media at all um, because everyone's like talking about the brand The the on three website has like a, a formula that like a player's value based on social media following. I'm still not sure that one adds up in my mind. I'd have to get more information on that, but it's like just how you view social media as like a marketing and a branding tool. Has that changed the way you looked at it at all?
2: A little bit. Definitely. Um, I've never been a huge social media guy to begin with, so it didn't really like, I think like the biggest thing for me is now I feel like I need to use social media more. To be completely honest with you, so that's yeah. kind of like one big change with me. Um, have you ever thought
1: about asking Kiffin for a social media lessons? Just like, well, how do you do it, man?
2: I'd love to, but he tweets a lot, and I don't like
1: tweeting. <laughs> <laughs> he is certainly uh, certainly a master at it. I know you've got a lot on your plate this year, as from the season to kind of an NFL future and all that. But how do you kind of balance the idea? Because obviously you're one of the gifted, gifted athletes that is good enough to have a professional career. But there's no guarantees with pro, pro sports, right? Like you, your career can kind of flash for your eyes in an instant. You just never know what's going to happen. The school aspect of it and kind of what you want to do outside of football, whenever that time comes, whether it's 20 years from now, 10, 5, whatever, do you, how like, cognizant of are you about thinking about what you want to do after football? Because I remember for me when I got out of college, Like, two years in, I had no idea what I wanted to do. Then the last year, I was like, okay, this is kind of the path I want to take. And it worked out fine. But, like, you're a hell of a lot more mature at 22, 21 than you are at 18. Like, it's a weird deal where you're still in college, but you're almost like a different person, or at least that was my perspective. Um, How cognizant are you of thinking about kind of what you want to do after football, despite, you know, hopefully having a long, healthy professional career in front of you?
2: Yeah, I mean, definitely. Like, you want to have something – yeah, you know, I've been kind of all over the map and what I want to do. I've been thinking about real estate, but then part of it is like maybe coaching would be fun or uh, getting into like insurance, you know, or sales. You know, I've kind of bounced off a lot of different things, but I mean, the, the, the you know, still like you said, I still don't even know exactly what I want to do when football's over. So, um, but, you know, I have a lot of options that I like. So, you know, just whatever makes the most sense and what is best for me, I'd probably do of the ones I just listed.
1: For sure, I actually I actually started as a risk and insurance major, and I'll never forget I was at a career fair, and a guy from like some one of the insurance agent was like, "Why'd you pick insurance?" I was like, "Well, I was told I had to declare a major. I was told by my parents I couldn't go into my third year of college without a major." It's safe to say that guy did not offer me an internship, and it's crazy right. how it changes. Like when you know, you know, but like I know exactly what you mean. I mean, I, going you know junior senior year, I still really had no idea what I wanted to do. It right. just hits one day, and you're like, "All right, this is the path I'm going to take." As we wrap up here, what are you most excited about this season, whether that's a personal or a, you know, team standpoint? Like, is there one thing in particular that you're really pumped about to get this season going?
2: Just excited to get the ball down, honestly, and kind of get it started. Um, I mean, we've put in a lot of work, and, you know, I'm just kind of ready to, you know, play games and kind of let the work show for itself. Is there, like, a sense, like, the last year – I think people thought you guys could be pretty good.
1: I don't know if people thought you could go 10-2. and two. Now it's like you reloaded. You've done a lot of good things, whether it's the portal. you got a lot of veteran guys coming back. Like, when you have a good team, can you sense in camp that you guys know you're good versus a year where – like your freshman year, y'all had a lot of youth on that team, a lot of freshmen playing in a lot of spots. Is the vibe amongst the team different in camp when you kind of know you're going to be pretty good?
2: Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, you can kind of tell pretty early – like how good do you think the team's gonna be? So, <laughs> bless you. Thank you. There's something you can. I mean, it's definitely pretty something you can tell pretty early on in camp is how good you think the team's gonna be. Media wise, this is the last thing I have for you. Media
1: wise, it's always fascinating to me. It's so different college to pros. Like I did an internship covering the Cincinnati Reds, and like for college, you guys come out and talk to us. You know, I, I feel like they kind of train y'all, obviously not to make headlines, but to kind of say as little as possible while still being right. like respectful and going through the exercise. But like professional sports was so eye opening to me because like we just got to walk in their clubhouse and you talk to anyone, whoever, you just, you know, unless you piss someone off, you can kind of just roll wherever. As you, someone who's kind of aspires to have a pro career, like that is going to become more of a focal point. And like I'm just curious, like how you kind of view media and approach it. Like, do they keep y'all pretty savvy in training? Like, I'm just curious, like, how an athlete approaches, whether it be local or national media. What are your kind of thoughts on it?
2: Yeah, I mean, definitely, like, we kind of have a little bit of a gist of what they might be saying. Um, to me, I feel like, like you said, you know, you want to answer the question, but still at the same time, you know, you don't, you just don't make headlines and don't tell anybody too much ever. I feel like that's kind of been my approach with it. Um, and I feel like I've always done a pretty good job with it if not, you know, answering, being polite, but never like saying too much and making headlines. So there's still there's kind of like a little, you know, strategy with it, I would say. But um, there's nothing like too crazy about it either.
1: Yeah, we had Kadir Shepard come in one year and he in a span of five minutes dropped an F-bomb and then also started giving away a defensive game plan. And it was a hilarious interview. But as soon as it got done, I kind of looked at the media relations guy. I was like, "We're never going to see this dude again." Like, yeah. <laughs> let's talk to him again. So it was kind of fun. I so like I have like gripes with it. Like it's like certain ways people ask questions like makes me mad. Like, how do you? I always like you guys get asked a lot of dumb stuff. It always is amazing to me how you guys are able to handle it and give like a good answer when it's just a terrible question. But like, do you know in the back of your head when one of us in like a media scrum just asks a stupid ass question, and you're just like, "Come on, God.
2: Yeah, definitely. I mean, like, there's always a couple of questions. And I'm like, did we really have to ask that? And like, but things happen.
1: Yeah, if you do one favor for me this year, if someone tells you to talk about something, just pick, like, I will, if you ask me a question. The talk about questions drive me up a wall. They're like, why don't you talk about this? I'm like, ask the dude an actual question. It-, it blows my mind. Anyway, so if someone asks you that, just be like, I have a friend that told me to say this, but please ask me a real question.
2: Yeah, I will.
1: All right. I appreciate the time, my man. This is a lot of fun. You got a tee time. Are we going low today? What, how are we feeling?
2: As long as it doesn't rain out, I think we're going low today. I can feel it. I've got a good, good energy in the air this morning.
1: I like it. Hit some bombs, make some putts and uh, good luck in camp. And we'll chat soon. All right. Thank you, Tony. I appreciate it. And that was the Nick Broker interview. Hopefully it was still relevant and interesting. I know it was a little bit late, but again, pod was in a little bit of a weird spot this week. Uh, just from a scheduling standpoint. But uh, it is what it is. Better to have it out there than not, though. So anyway, Ryan and I will be back at it sometime early this week. Uh, Got a couple more opponent previews, and we'll keep this thing rolling before we get into game week. Y'all have a great rest of your weekend, and uh, we'll holler at you in a couple days.